You're listening to the Arsenal Church Podcast. To learn more about the Arsenal, go to thearsenal.church. And if you'd like to receive more content throughout your week, feel free to download the Arsenal Church app. A couple weeks ago was our seven-year anniversary, and uh, yay, woohoo, which is crazy. Um, and I, I said during that anniversary that we're going to tell your stories, that that's going to be part of this year. It's telling your stories. Um, it's because I think stories really matter. It's because I think um, personal stories really matter, um, especially in this journey that we call faith, um, in a community, coming together as a, um, as a church that is a community where people know people. Um, last week, I didn't want to preach, so um, I'm just kidding, kind of. Um, last week, I handed the mic off. Um, and asked, um, asked you to just tell us who you are. Uh, we went one by one, not everybody, um, those lucky few that got picked out of the crowd, um, handed the mic, got to tell who they are, what they do, um, something important or special about themselves. Anybody remember any, um, any good details? Lane said he had all of them locked in. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Lane was like, I'm trying to remember. Um, we, we, met, we met quite a few. I think we had, uh, it was like 12 or 13 people that got up and spoke. Um, Alex got to do it again. We, we started talking after service. Um, the first time Alex ever came to our church uh, was June 2017. I found the, the picture. June 2017, we were about six months old as a church, and we did, I did that six months into the church. I was like, hey, um, who are you? Come up here. Tell us who you are. And um, Alex, on his first day of attending the Arsenal, got to do that. And then there's a couple of you that are here today that, thanks for coming back. You got to do that last week. Um, you're like, this is my first time here, and you're making me talk. Um, I told you that we aren't going to do that again this week. I lied. Um, no, I'm just kidding. We're not. So afterwards, after service, like, I had so many people, like, introverts that were just like, my anxiety was so high that entire service. So bring it down. You're okay. We're not doing that. Um, as a, an extrovert, an overly extroverted extrovert, I don't understand that. I'm like, yeah, give me the mic. <laughs> I'll talk. Where are we at? Um, but I was told by quite a few people that it was, it was kind of stressful. Horrific. Horrific. <laughs> Horrific. All right. That's real bad. Um, that is not a word that we want to describe the arsenal and church service. So let's just scratch that one from the record, can we? Um, we're not doing that today. But we are going to talk about stories. Um, all of us tell stories. We tell stories about ourselves. Um, it's, it's how we share who we are. Stories define us. To, to know someone well is to know their story. Right? If, you, if you have a really good friend, you know their story. You, you know a lot about them. You, you know what has shaped them, the experiences of their life that have, that have shaped them into who they are. You know their family um, or their family history. You know their first love uh, or the story of their first love and then how that ended poorly in um, you know, high school <laughs> or whatever it was, right? Um, like you, you know about that. When we tell our stories about who we are and really like dive in, we tell those stories. We want someone to know us, so we talk about who we are. We tell you our personal stories. And it, it's part of 
just being human and, and being in this life together. We get to know each other through our stories. And when I talk about stories, I'm not talking about made-up fictional stories. Um, some of you tell those. Uh, actually, we all tell them at times. <laughs> but we're not talking about that. We're talking about your actual story, like the, the story of who you are. Um, we get to know each other through these stories. Getting to know each other is, is something that, that we do on a daily basis as humans, right? It's, it's part of life. We live our lives through relationships with people. Um, some of us are really, really, really close to people, and we get, like, like, Madi, like, my, my wife, Madi, some of you may not know her. She was the one wearing a sweater of another man on stage today. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory. <laughs> um, was it yesterday or the day before? I sent an Instagram to, it was actually Madi, Vinny, and Brittany. Um, it was an Instagram story of Simone Biles, um, who is married to an NFL player on the Green Bay Packers. Um, I forget his first name. I know his last name is Owens. But she's married to this, this guy, Owens, and uh, they were showing pictures of her at his games, and she had on, like, a jacket that had his last name on it and his number. She had a shirt on that had his face on it, that, like, Owens. And I was like, where's this support on Sundays for us? Um, you can see how, uh, how that worked out for me. Um, I'm just telling you my story, guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, she's... I, backstory to the backstory, I bought her the sweater. Uh-huh. Okay, where was I at? We live our lives through relationships with people. <laughs> um, we get to know people. We get to know their stories. That's where I was going with Madi. Uh, Madi is really good at getting to know people and going deep with them in a relationship. She knows. Um, she's got this, like, groups of friends that she's just really, really close to. Um, some of us are like that. We, we, we have those really tight, close relationships. I'm more, like... I want to know everyone, but you got about five minutes, and uh, give me the cliff notes, right? No. I want to know your story, but she's just so much better, I feel, at like actually like pulling the story out of people. Um, some of us are good at that. Some of us are not, but stories are how we get to know each other. When we first meet someone and want to get to know them, we might say something along the lines of, tell me about yourself, Right? Tell me about yourself. I'm going to walk around. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, tell me about yourself. And then we, if we feel comfortable, the, the, the level of comfort is how much I'm going to tell you about myself. Um, but as you feel comfortable, you begin to tell others about who you are. We get to know you. A good listener in that situation will say, tell me about yourself. You begin to tell them about you, and they ask follow-on questions. They, they keep digging, like, let me, let me know more. I want, I want to know more. Our stories are... Truly, how we get to know each other. Our stories, they shape us. Um, psychology even tells us that how we view ourselves and our own story shapes us. Um, your, your view of yourself impacts how you engage this world. That's why if you go see a therapist or a counselor, um, when they ask you your story, they continue to dig deeper and deeper and go further back. It gets real uncomfortable. Um, you're like, what are you talking about? I don't know what I did when I was three years old. Uh, 
But there's a lot in our story that dictates and, and, and kind of shapes who we are. And we, we, we begin to talk about that. And, and even if you continue to read and, and, and study in psychology, we can't change the past, but what we can do is maybe reform the narrative that you tell yourself about yourself that might help you have a better view of yourself. I'll, bring, I'll get into that a little bit better. I don't know. Am I wrong, Nate? Okay, okay. <laughs> Nate does psychology stuff. I don't know. Um, but your story matters. And how you interact with um, you, how you interact with yourself while you're telling your story tells a lot about how you view yourself. A lot of times in our culture, um, we, we have this, this tendency to sanitize our stories, sanitize the version of the stories that we tell uh, we clean them up, give a happy ending, redemption story. We like those, right? Those are the, those are the ones we want to share. When it comes to church, um, I think we oftentimes sanitize out our own thoughts on how something or someone ended up because it fits our moral standards. We're going to talk a lot about some stories in Scripture. Um, and some of them, I'm just going to kind of let them land. Like, here's the story in Scripture. Most people in some of these stories have gone through and maybe added their own thoughts to why this story is in Scripture or why this person mattered in Scripture. Like, let me add a little bit to it, make you feel better about it. Um, we turn stories into, like, specific truths or principles that we think can point us to how we should live. Like, we read this story of a person, and we're like, all right, let me find the truth and the, the principle in this, and I'm going to pull it out. I'm going to add a little bit to it. Now, here's what I think this is trying to tell us to do Today And it's, it's all this idea of, like, how can I be better, a better Christian, a better, like, more moral? And I think sometimes we just sanitize down some stories in Scripture. Or we add to them in order to try and pull out what we think is there. But maybe it's not. Eugene Peterson, he's a, an author. He did the um, translation, the Message Bible. In his book, Eat This Book, which is weird, um, that's a really good book. It says, he said this, we live in a world impoverished of story. So it's not surprising that many of us have picked up the bad habit of extracting truths from the stories we read. We summarize principles that we can use in a variety of settings at our discretion. We distill a moral that we can use as a slogan on a poster or a motto on our desk. What Eugene's talking about here is that when it comes to stories in Scripture, I think we miss the humanity of that story. We, we reduce it, we reduce everything down to a lesson to be learned or a principle that we can apply, but we miss the humanity. You know, in, in scripture, there, there's stories of people's lives. There's, it's this, this beautiful, like, like, library of faith stories where we see God and people, humanity, coming together and interacting. And, and we want to just pull out this truth or this principle that I can apply, but we miss the humanity of it all, I think, when we do that. So we're going to talk through some stories in Scripture, some people in Scripture that maybe throughout our time in church, we have heard the story, we've heard the good sanitized version of it that's maybe helped us uh, live better, be better Christians, to live up to a certain standard that has been set. But I think... There's more to the humanity of that story that we can kind of unpack. So today we're going to start with one that you've all heard, probably. It's 
maybe not. <laughs> we're going to start with a story of a woman whose story we find in the Old Testament. It's an interesting one. Um, we find it in Joshua. In Joshua 2, we're introduced like this. Joshua 2, verse 1, it says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Enter Rahab into the story of Scripture. Also, lots of questions. A little bit of backstory here. In Deuteronomy, you got... Um, yeah, Moses, we, we've seen Moses through Exodus and then Deuteronomy. In the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. Joshua now becomes the leader of God's people, of the Israelites. He commands this army um, that conquered much of the territory and what is they were, they were told to go to the promised land, right? And, and Joshua helps these armies to conquer much of the territory in the promised land. The book of Joshua is the first of the 12 books of the Israelites' history. The, the book of Joshua recalls their move into the land of Canaan, um, the allotment of inheritance to the 12 tribes. It, it like we, When we walk through the Old Testament, we see the Israelites going into this promised land and where the 12 tribes of Israel get their, their space of land where God has promised them. And it's this establishment of a kingdom that lasted about 500 years. And we, we see this establishment and the living out of the kingdom throughout the Old Testament. But in Joshua, this is the beginning of the story of the kingdom of Israel and God's people. So in Joshua 2, this is one of the first things Joshua is doing as a newly appointed commander of the Israeli people and Israeli army. They're moving to the promised land. But blocking the way to the promised land is a city of Jericho. Jericho, some of you guys have heard of Jericho. I'll put up a picture. Um, this is ancient Jericho. It was taken from a UAV over uh, the area of Jericho. No, this is a... This is a, kind of a rendition of, of the city, the ancient city of Jericho. Um, Jericho is a city, was known as the City of Palms. It was a very famous city. It's located five miles west of the Jordan River, and it blocked the entrance into the Promised Land. It was a well-fortified city. The city itself covered about eight acres, and it was surrounded by inner and outer walls. You can kind of see the walls there. There's that, the inner wall, I think like 410, and then you got the outer wall, 1604. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but San Antonio was based off of Jericho. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not. I was just kidding. Uh, Blanc is like, for real? Uh -huh. But it covered about eight acres. It's surrounded by this inner and outer wall. The inner wall was 12 feet thick. The outer wall was six feet thick, and they both stood about 30 feet high. So it's a really hard city to get into. You, you have to go through the gate in order to enter Jericho, it's impossible to, to breach, but this was Joshua's mission to take Jericho. So he sends in these two spies to go get some intel and figure out what they're up against in the city of Jericho. They enter Jericho and they go straight to the home of Rahab, the prostitute. Like I said, I got a lot of questions on why they went there first. Like, I know where we should go. And I, we don't know the names of these two spies in this story, like they, but the two spies, like, can you imagine, like, right, where should we go? I know this place, you know, like, we could go, and I don't know. 
how they know where to go. I don't know why that house is the house they go to, the spy in the city. I don't know. Lots of questions. We don't get that. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to just sanitize that for you. I don't know. They just, they went there. Um, I'll give you a little bit of insight. This isn't sanitized. This is just a little bit of insight that I'll, I'll kind of bring to the story. It's, this is Chad's idea of this, if it helps. Um, Sometimes, as a spy, when you are collecting intel on an area or a group of people, the people that have the best intel are not always the best people. Uh, we used to call them nefarious people. <laughs> that was the word, right? Um, now, the, the people that may have a little bit of like access to information that you need um, are a little scandalous themselves. Rahab probably knew a lot about the men in the city of Jericho. Leave it there. Specifically, the leadership. So probably not a bad stop for intel on the army of Jericho. They, they entered in. This is a place where they could probably get a little bit of intel about who is running this city, what is happening here. And so they end up in the home of Rahab. And in the next verse, that was verse 1. Right? The two spies, Joshua sends them in. They, they go into the home of Rahab the prostitute. And in verse 2, we see this. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Not good spies. Like, you know, like, second verse, Hey, guys, they've infiltrated our city. And so the king of Jericho sends a message to Rahab. I'm guessing some, some men went over. They didn't have telephones or internet or anything, just so you know. Um, so the king of Jericho sent a message. So he sends over, I'm sure, some soldiers to go, and they say, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from at dusk. When it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. You just kind of see Rahab like, I don't know where they went, but if you go quick, I bet you catch them, right? And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Um, but she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. I didn't know what stalks of flax are, so I found a picture. Um, this is from back then. This is what it looked like. This is Rahab, the spies, the stalks of flax just so you, you know. Um, she looks like she's going like, to light them on fire. <laughs> she's not, guys. They didn't have flashlights. That's her flashlight. So she goes up to the roof to tell the men. She goes up there. So the men, it says, the, the king's men, they set out on pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. She's telling them, hey, look, we, we know about you. We know about the Israelites. We know that when Moses led the Israelites to the Red Sea, he parted the Red Sea. You walked across, and the, the armies that were following you were smashed by the water and were drowned. We, we know this happened. I know that the, your Lord, she says, we've, 
We've heard it. Our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God, in God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Because I've shown kindness to you, give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brother and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives. The men reassured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. So the spies leave. She makes this deal with them. She says, look, I believe in your Lord. I believe in your God. She's not an Israelite. This isn't something that people outside of the Israelites would, would do. They wouldn't profess their belief to the Israelite God. But in this moment, she says, I believe. I believe in the God that you have. I, I, I believe so much so that I, I lied to save you. And if you will save me and my family, like it, because I've saved you, please save me and my family. And the guy said, yeah, our lives for your lives. You've done this. So when we, when we take this city, your family will be saved. They make that deal. The, the spies tell her, just leave a red cord hanging out from your window. When we come in, as long as your family is in your home, they will be spared. And in Joshua 6, we, we see where the Israelites take the city of Jericho. Rahab and all her family are spared. And later we see this woman Rahab mentioned again in Scripture. So we see her in Joshua 2. And it's this interesting story. Rahab the prostitute, she lets these spies come into her home. She hides them. The king's men come. She lies to them. Like, a couple strikes already, right? Like, line of work is probably not in line with most of what Jesus would say. Um, two, she lies to save the spies. That, you know, that's like Ten Commandments kind of stuff. Uh, thou shalt not, right? So she does these things, but then she professes her faith in God, and she's saved. And then we see later if, if in Scripture, we see her name mentioned Again, and it, it's in some really interesting spots. In fact, we see Rahab's name mentioned in Scripture in Matthew. And in Matthew, it's in the first chapter of Matthew, it's actually in the genealogy of Jesus. It goes like this, Matthew 1, verse 4, Salmon. I, I'm sure there's a different way to say this, Salmon, but Salmon sounds like a weird name. I don't know. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. This is Rahab. Rahab... Salmon. Rahab married Salmon. Um, they had Boaz. Boaz married Ruth. They had Obed. And then Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose, ma, or whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That's a whole other story. We call her Bathsheba. Um, anyway, that's a different one different woman in the, in the genealogy, but there's this genealogy of Jesus. This is, this is literally the lineage. Like, where does Jesus come from? Let's lay out the lineage of where Jesus come from, comes from. Rahab, Rahab is, is mentioned as one of the people and only one of a few women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, which is already kind of scandalous. But Rahab, the prostitute, is in the lineage of Jesus the mother of Boaz, who later married another hero of the Old Testament, Ruth. 
And if you follow this lineage, a few lines later, you find King David, a man after God's own heart. All from the family and the lineage of Rahab. Later in Scripture, honestly, probably one of the wildest places I think we find Rahab in Scripture is in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. In the 11th chapter of Hebrews, this is often referred to as the Hall of Faith. These are the faith heroes of this this thing that we call faith in Jesus. These are the people that have led us into this relationship with God through Jesus. This this is it. These are the people. These are the heroes. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Most of us have heard this verse. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understood that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. It's this idea that they had so much faith in a God that they couldn't see that they, they acted upon that faith. And, it, it, and it's these heroes. In fact, they're heroes of faith that most of them listed you would know. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, who was Abraham's wife, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, that's the one with the coat, not Jesus' stepdad, Moses, and then Rahab. In fact, in Hebrews 11, verse 30, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. And verse 31, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. It's interesting to me, Rahab is mentioned in verse 31 here, right after the walls of Jericho had fallen. But Joshua, who led the army, is not mentioned in this chapter at all. Like the guy that like led the people of Israel into the promised land, he's the one that was like, hey, go into Jericho, find out what's coming so we can go take over this city. The spies go in, they meet Rahab. Rahab gets mentioned in the book of the faith, the hall of faith but not Joshua. And then it goes on, the writer of Hebrews in verse 32 says, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets. He's like, look, I need you to know about Rahab the prostitute. The rest of these guys, I don't, I don't got time for that. Like what, David? You don't have time to tell us about David? Samuel, the prophets, Rahab. Rahab the prostitute, you need to remember her story. I read a lot of stuff this week about Rahab. A lot of takes, a lot of sermon ideas, a lot of commentaries. Most of which mentioned her turning her life around and her massive transformation um, to become this woman of God. And what I don't find in scripture is that part of her story, actually. I don't, I don't see it. Now, she, she married into what would be royalty in the Israelite kingdom, but we don't see, I don't see that part of her story. It's not this massive transformational story where we see, oh man, this woman who was not good, she, she became this amazing woman of God. We don't see that. We can pull that out. We can like, make that up, basically. But it, it's not in Scripture. But what I do see is Rahab's story of her meeting God and professing faith in God to two spies of a foreign foreign country, a foreign kingdom. What I know is that every time she's mentioned in the following scriptures in the New Testament, other than in Matthew, the genealogy, 
And depending on what, I guess, what uh, translation you look at, she's referred to as the prostitute or the harlot. Like she never dropped it, the, the, the phrase, the name. She might be kind of frustrating if you're Rahab. Like, I did a lot of other things, guys. It's obviously not her whole story, but it's the story that we've got. It's this beautiful story of a woman you wouldn't think of as a hero. Putting her faith in a God she didn't really know, and then a God meeting her in her story. Eugene Peterson, later in his book, Eat This Book, is this book about approaching Scripture in a way where we allow the stories we read to invite us into the narrative, not to just find a truth or principle to apply, but to actually enter into the narrative of the people that we are seeing their faith journey in Scripture. He says this, spiritual theology, using Scripture as text, does not so much present us with a moral code and tell us live up to this, nor does it set out a system of doctrine and say, think like this. The biblical way is to tell a story and invite us, live into this. This is what it looks like to be human in this God-made, God-ruled world. This is what is involved in becoming and maturing as a human being. We don't have to fit into prefabricated moral or mental or religious boxes before we are admitted into the company of God. We're taken seriously just as we are and given place in his story. For it is, after all, God's story. None of us is the leading character in the story of our lives. God is the larger context and plot in which all stories find themselves. We don't have to fit into a prefabricated moral and mental or religious box before we are admitted into the company of God. I think this is an important idea about our relationship with God. That God meets us in our story, not because we've done something that impressed him, but because God is God and because we are his children. I believe the beauty of the stories of Scripture is that they show us that it isn't this cookie-cutter life where we're all, we all must meet very specific standards in order to fit in. Many of us have maybe been told that we don't fit into the story of God. We don't fit into the family picture of Christianity. What do we learn from stories like those of Rahab and Scripture? Where she may not fit our mold of, of a, a character and a hero in Scripture. I think we learn that humanity is what God cares about. That God meets us in our humanity, not in our perfection. And that, dare I say, perfection isn't even the objective. Our stories, your story, it matters. Who you are matters. And I believe that God meets you in your story. How you view yourself in a story with God matters. I think for a lot of us, we view ourselves in a way that God doesn't like us. Like who, if you think about your relationship with God, let me ask you these questions. One, who is God? And what does God think about you? Who is God? And what does God think about you? For a lot of us, that answer gets a little murky. Sometimes it gets hurtful. The answer to these questions often dictate how our relationship with God goes. Your view of God shapes your reality. And then your view of yourself is the best commentary on how you view God. 
Let me say that again. Your view of God shapes your reality. The way that I see God shapes how I see the world. And then the way that I view myself is my best commentary. It's the, the best way for me to understand how I view God. If you think God doesn't like you, then your view of God is one where God has certain standards and stipulations you must live up to in order to be liked by God. I think this is, this is where grace enters in. This is where the story and the understanding of who God is really begins to affect how we live. There's a, there was a, a line in the song that we sang today that says, your kindness that leads us to repentance. And for a lot of us, when we say the word or hear the word repentance, there's this religious backing to it that we're like, ah, oh, here we go. Because we've been taught that repentance means that we must stop sinning, that, that it's all about our actions, that we... To, to repent is to turn away from the things that you're doing and not do them anymore. The word repentance in the Greek is metanoia. It actually means a mindset, a change of mind, a, a mindset change. This idea that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance is the idea that it's God's kindness, God's love of you, the idea that God likes you no matter what, that it's not a stipulation that's set so that he will like you. When you begin to believe this, you change your mind about who you are, whose you are, and how you live. It's not about actions. It's about knowing who you are. It's about knowing what God has done and how he's met you in your story. This is where God's kindness, who meets you in the midst of your story, not when you have made things perfect, but when you are Rahab, the prostitute, he meets you there. And you say, what are you doing here? And God says, I'm here for you. But, I, but I'm not good enough. They tell me all the time I'm not good enough. That's why I live outside of the, the culture, outside of the walls. I, I'm not good enough. And God says, no, 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 you, you've always been good enough. No matter your story or where God met you, it's your story. And it's one that, that we, we'd love to hear. We've talked about telling your story this year. Your story may not be about perfection. It may not be sanitized, but it's human because that's where God meets us. That's where God loves us. That's where God walks with us is in that humanity. So as we go through 2024, we talk about this idea of stories. We'll tell some more stories of people in Scripture that maybe don't fit into a mold but somehow they are in this biblical text to introduce us to the idea that God meets us in our story. So we're going to invite you this year to tell your story because it matters, because you matter. And in telling our stories, the diversity, the struggles, the triumphs, the differences, I, I believe that when we hear these stories, it's where we see just how big God's love really is. Because if I, if I believe that God's love is very specific and very stipulated, then Rahab the prostitute doesn't fit my narrative. But when I hear these stories, God meeting someone I didn't think he should meet or didn't, didn't, didn't fit my mold, my idea of God's love just expanded a little bit more. 
God's love didn't expand more. My understanding of God's love expanded more. My understanding of just how big that love is was revealed. God's love isn't dictated by how well we fit a mold. I think the mold, this, this, this mold that we've had is, is not even in the mindset of God. In fact, the mind-blowing beauty of God's love is just how big and unconditional it really is. So this year, 2024 Arsenal, I'm inviting you to tell your story. And it's not going to be a story where we've made things perfect and we're doing things just right. But it's going to be a story of humanity. It'll be a story of you because you matter. And God loves you right where you're at, no matter what. No stipulations, no conditions, because God's love is unconditional. And if it's not, then we're all in trouble. But from what I see, and from my understanding, God meets us in our story because that's who God is. God is love, and his love is way, way bigger than we could ever imagine. Arsenal, we love you. Go tell your story this year. And in the telling of it, love people well because it's who you're made to be. We love you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. Our hope is that you feel loved and encouraged. If you have questions or need prayer, please email hello at thearsenal.church and don't forget to download the Arsenal Church app.